0: This is the Blaze Radio on Demand. Get a Casper mattress and get a great night's sleep. Try it for a hundred nights risk-free. Go to Casper.com/slash Glenn and use the promo code Glenn. Get $50 towards the purchase of your mattress. Terms and conditions do apply. So David Barton is um, a frequent visitor to the vault and, uh, and not necessarily on the show. We're doing um, Bounding Fridays, if you will. That's what we used to call them on, on uh, Fox. But uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the pilgrims today. But um, I just wanted you to know that David is uh, a partner of mine uh, when it comes to the museum that we want to build. And what we talked about as Independence USA. Um, a museum that, and and really it's more of a classroom, that will teach people the founding principles and collect some of the articles that prove things to be what they are. Because they can call you crazy until you produce the documents, and they don't have documents to say otherwise. Um, And so we're going to learn about how so many people culturally appropriated um, uh, this land and uh, took it away uh, from people. And why why it was taken away? Because, of course, David, it was all for money and greed. Or not. Or not is right. So
1: where do we start with the pilgrims? Let's, let's start with the pilgrims in the background, because unless you understand who they were, what they were facing, what they dealt with, you don't know why they came, you don't know what they were trying to do. And so the pilgrims were... And the fact that they didn't want to come here no that was not there this was a death sentence they thought this was this was their place of last resort right and this is not where they wanted to come but they were in a period of time in europe where everybody had a state-established church and that meant the government would tell you what your religious beliefs were where you could attend church what you could and couldn't do who you could hang out with just happen to have some of those this is so what what are these these are laws that were passed in England. Now, the Pilgrims came from England. That was their place. That's where they lived. Uh, they were eventually driven out of there. They went to Holland, from Holland to America. But these are the laws that they were facing and having to deal with at the time, and these are all passed by by Parliament. So these are okay, this is, like uh, Congress This is laws. the last
0: day of December, 1647. A declaration of the commons. What is the commons?
1: The House of Lords, the House of Commons. Commons like the House of
0: Representatives. Assembled in Parliament against all such persons as shall take upon them to preach or expound the scriptures in any church or any chapel or any other public place except they
1: be ordained either here or in some other Reformed church. So you don't preach unless... Parliament tells you you can preach and they'll tell you what churches you can preach in. And by the way, that's part of what happened in Anglican, Virginia, with Thomas Jefferson who fought for other churches because the Anglicans in Virginia literally killed Quakers because they weren't preaching out of the right church. They imprisoned and find Baptists and Presbyterians and Methodists. And it's this philosophy. We have a state-established church. We'll tell you what faith you can be and what you can't do. That's what the pilgrims are dealing with when they come to America, is this kind of law.
0: This is an ordinance of the Lord and commons assembled in Parliament together with rules and directions concerning the suspension from the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Is that like Catholics would call
1: it communion? Communion. Okay. It'd, be, it'd, it'd be a sacrament. A sacrament, That's right. okay. Um, and the government's telling you what sacraments you can do and who can do them, who can participate and who who can't.
0: In the cases of ignorance and scandal, what does that mean? Also the names of it such major from the wrong i mean the wrong person is doing it you don't have a government approved person doing okay. it okay also the names of such ministers and others that are appointed uh, as triers and judges the ability of elders in the 12 classes within the providence of london established 1645 so these are the
1: names back here of the people who you can. It's like the parish, and if you, if you need a preacher, here's the official preachers you can go see in your parish. So they list all the different classes, one through twelve back there, and all the official preachers. So again, you have the government telling you who your official preachers are and who you can see. And so this is why the king kept, I mean, you, you hold
0: on to power. If, you, if power is coming from the church, if people are going to the church and the church
1: is telling them how they have to live their life and they're all controlled by the king. Well, and you have to recognize that this goes back to 391 A.D. where the, the emperor at that time, Theodosius, said, I'm a Christian. Everybody's going to be a Christian in the world or I'll kill you. And so at that point in time... like That's right. Yeah. So he, he took over the church. And what you have is 1,200 years of the government running the church. Not the church running the government. The government runs the church. And so what you, what you have with these guys right here, this is their pastor right here, John Robinson. Now, he's their second pastor because the first pastor... John, Pastor Greenwood. He quit, didn't he? Oh, he got killed. Got killed. He made the mistake of saying, um, Church and state, Jesus is head of the church, not Queen Elizabeth I. She said, Don't ever say that. <laughs> he lost his head over it. They killed him for saying that Queen Elizabeth was not the head of the church.
0: I will tell you, this sounds like something from the 1600s, but in the 1930s, uh, mm-hmm. 1933, in Germany, 80% of the Christians voted. To say that Jesus Christ was
1: not the head of the Christian church, but Adolf Hitler. That's right. So it's the state-established church. S- right. It's the same thing. And so these guys, that's, that's why they have their second pastor. And it's interesting, when, when he sent them out, and this was supposed to be two ships coming to America. So they're coming to America. It, only one ship made it because he died. He was supposed to be on the second ship, and their pastor died. The second ship never came. So the first ship is the Mayflower that gets here. They lead on the Speedwell, and it gets sabotaged. They go back, and they leave on the Mayflower. He told them, he said, when you get to America, do not use the corrupt practices that we've had. He said, you have a chance to start over. You do it right. So when these guys landed in America, interestingly enough, they separated church from state the way God wanted it. And I don't mean a separation of church and state the way we talk now. What they did was they had separate elections for church leaders and separate elections for state leaders. So the state was no longer telling you what church you had to go to. The state couldn't punish you for not going to the right church. Why did they do that, David? Because they were all the same faith when they came over, weren't they? They were, but they also protected the rights of religious conscience for others because some of them that came over weren't from the congregation. how
0: have we lost, quite honestly, how have we lost that? Because the battle between Christians, and you and I have seen it firsthand Mm -hmm. in all faiths, Mm the battle between Christians, you're not Christian enough, right? Um, is, in, is
1: astounding to me. But it's very understandable, and, and here's why. There are 30 verses in the New Testament that talk about protecting the rights of conscience. That's got to be one of the top subjects in the New Testament. There, there's four verses that talk about having your public policies to protect the rights of conscience. Only 14% of Christians read the Bible on a daily basis you're talking only about 5% of Christians that have ever read the Bible cover to cover. How many? 5%. You're about 5%. So 19 out of 20 have no clue what's in that book. Uh, And that's why people like George Barna, uh, he's the pollster really focuses on the the faith-believing community. He and I did a book together recently. George points out that of 70 different moral behaviors that they measure, he can find no statistical difference in the behavior of Christians and non-Christians on moral issues. They don't know what's in the book. They would these not, guys
0: knew. And these guys would not consider most of us Christians.
1: Oh, I, I think that's exactly right. Uh, these, now, you have to understand, these guys came out, the, when the government had the church, it limited the use of the Bible. They killed people for trying to put the Bible in common language. The government did, but then the government ran the church. And so the Anglican church that these guys are dealing with, Henry VIII wanted a divorce, and that's not Bible. And the, Pope said, no way. And Henry said, I'll just start my own church, get myself a divorce. That's where the Anglican Church came from. So now he's saying you have to attend the Anglican Church. These guys, what's interesting is that book right there. And by the way, that's what you see right here. This here. Now, this painting actually, in the rotunda of the Capitol is 14 feet high. It's 20 feet wide. I'm sorry, David. Where is that? The rotunda of the U.S. capitol. Amazing. I'm sorry,
0: it sounds to me like there's a blurring of the church and state.
1: Yeah, exactly. Right. See, the difference was church and state not to be run by the same person, but you're never to secularize either one. God's Mm -hmm. involved in all of it. And so that was their viewpoint, but you don't have the same person running. That actual Bible that is in that picture, we
0: had at the museum. That's right. um, Here, um, last summer. That's right. And uh, it's... Remarkable Mm -hmm. to
1: see a painting like that, and to say that's this, that one. Well, and that's why I opened this page because that's what they painted. Robert Weir painted this, and when he painted this, and it was it went in like eighteen thirty one, somewhere in there. He painted it. He painted this so you would know it was the Geneva Bible, because this is the Bible they used. And this Bible, David,
0: was it was treasonous. According oh, to yeah. the
1: king. Well, you see the size. This is called the world's first pocket Bible at this size. It's big pockets. Big pockets. Because the other Bibles are four times as big, and they were always chained to the pulpit of churches. This is the first one you could start hauling with you. And this is what started wow. producing civil liberty and religious liberty. The, the, the lasting cultural impact that these guys brought that are positive, and it's not we didn't hijack anybody's culture, they created a new culture and we don't today recognize what they did. Now, you know, we're looking at Thanksgiving and so that that's fine. And Thanksgiving they got there. I find their Thanksgiving amazing because they had it after their first winter. They arrived in December. They were trying to go to Virginia obviously god didn't want them to go there because the more they turned the ship south the harder the winds blew and it kept blowing them north they arrived in massachusetts where there is no government so they create their own if they'd been in virginia they would have been under the king's government so now they create their own government very providentially god put them there but they landed in massachusetts in december of 1620 mm-hmm. wrong time to come ashore you oh, got no how houses oh it was tough and then you got to build houses in that weather, and you got to keep firewood, and you don't have any food. Your food rotted on the way over. And now you got to hunt something. How are you going to hunt in the winter? It's tough. You so, don't even know what, really what you're hunting for. You, don't, you know don't know what, you're, what you, you know don't know the know land. What, you don't know the land. You don't know the land. It's it's unknown to you. So half of them died in that first winter. They had 102, and half of those those folks died. How many people died on the way over? Well, they mostly made it on the way over. Okay. Um, so that wasn't a problem. Now they got sick. It was a tough voyage, months long. And food rotted and they had spillage and everything else. So they get there and they don't have the supplies. Nobody's going to bring them food because they're not where they're supposed to be. They're way north. And so the next year is when they have a Thanksgiving. Now imagine having a Thanksgiving after you've lost half of your people. That's not when you would really say, but that was their mentality. I is I think it would be. It should be. I think Because well, it could have been higher than that. I think
0: when a nation is truly humbled and you get to the other side, mm-hmm. you get to um, you know, Thanksgiving, you made it to, through the winter, you made it into the summer, you were able to grow some food that's right. and know you're not going to make, and you're finished put harvesting and putting that up, I think that is the time, you think.
1: Th- that is the time, and that's what they did. They had that right viewpoint, and it's interesting, they are now down to approximately 50 of them. That's it. And so they get their buddies with them. They invite 90 Indians to come spend three days with them. Now, you've got to be fairly trusting or have good relations with Indians to invite twice as many to come among you. The longest-lasting treaty in American history is between the pilgrims and the Indians because of the great relationship they had together. You'll never hear that. You'll never hear the good relationship. But it was three days. They did athletic events together. They feasted had fun together. They worshipped together. It How was, did they
0: speak the language?
1: Uh, it was, as William Bradford, in this book right here, this was the book done by the Pilgrim's governor. They got there, and there was a guy on shore standing there that spoke English. An that's, Indian that spoke English. Squanto? And Samoset and Squanto were the two that, that helped them. And Squanto had been taken to England, or had taken somewhere in Europe where he learned to speak English. Came back, his entire tribe is dead. He's walking around without a purpose in life. He's the only one left of his tribe. And then here come these greenhorns from England and they speak English and nothing else. The odds. What are, what are, what is the providential odds? Yeah. And, and as as Governor Bradford said, he was an instrument of God for our good. And they recognized that was a God thing. And so the relationship was great. They forged a relationship with the tribes. It was really Samuset helped them and they learned how to eat and how to plant and how to hunt and what to do and you know, how to raise crops. And it's good, but two years later... Now, by the way, the second winter, they lost half of what was left. So you're now down to a quarter. You're down to a quarter. And so now you're into 1623, and you have a drought. And so in the spring, when everything's supposed to be growing, they had a drought. And so what the pilgrims did was they called for a day of fasting. And they did it, and their Indian friends watched them. And it's a time of fasting when all the rains are gone. You don't get rains that time of year according to to the records. And so the Indians watched as all these clouds gathered in the sky and a gentle rain fell and softened all the ground. And they had a bountiful crop and they had a Thanksgiving. The Indians actually said, and this is the recorded, the Indians said, those kind of rains don't happen this time of year. It's thunderstorms. Everything's beat down. You prayed. You got the right kind of rains. We want to know your God. We've never seen this happen before. And so it was another bonding between them. So over here, you've got four proclamations beside you. They're all by John Hancock. Now, you see, the first one is a day of Thanksgiving. And so that's the Thanksgiving tradition that goes back Massachusetts and across America. We have Thanksgiving. So pull that when one was off. This? When was that one is 1781.
0: And what time of year? When, when uh, that,
1: that is the fall time of the year. Now, below it, you have... You can see there all the all the things. And by the way, this also happens to be the time when we've just won the Battle of Yorktown. So this is also a Thanksgiving for independence as well. But we had a Thanksgiving every fall because that's what the pilgrims did. And so, now see the next one. That's another Thanksgiving by John Hancock. And as it happens, this is 1780 when George Washington's life was saved from Benedict Arnold. And so they've got another time of thanking God. So... Have so these.
0: this was not a tradition yet among well, the It was people. a tradition. It was a tradition. It was. It became an annual tradition. So this is kind of like the Queen's Christmas message? Somewhat. Uh, somewhat.
1: I yeah. mean, where this, this he was declaring thing, it for a, a thing, but people would have done a Thanksgiving anyway. They would have done it. And, and it, was, it was the governors that declared it for the pilgrims. So the governors just kept doing it. Now, you've got to remember, back then, Massachusetts was really three states. Maine. And Massachusetts Bay and the Plymouth Plantation colony. So you got three Massachusetts colonies.
0: This is the Thursday, the seventh day of December.
1: Yeah. So sometime in the fall. Did we, at this point, David, were we celebrating Christmas? Like, oh no, we didn't celebrate Christmas at all in Massachusetts. It was illegal to celebrate Christmas until up about Civil War time. Illegal. Illegal. Why? The law. Because the church that persecuted them is the one that had huge Christmas celebrations, and they didn't want anything to do with that. And so they saw those Christmas celebrations as uh, ostentatious because they had all the... the, uh, These guys, I mean, they didn't dress like that. Their their churches were very simple, very plain. They didn't have all the elaborate stuff because they associated that with a government-run church, all that money that was put into it, all that elaborateness, and that was the church that persecuted them and kept the Bible away from them, and they didn't want anything to do with it. So So. when, when in Ebenezer
0: Scrooge... When, when Bob Cratchit asks for Christmas Day off, mm-hmm. and Scrooge says, Christmas, having Christmas off. First, I read that as, okay, he's Scrooge, I get it. But then I realized that we didn't celebrate, but England was. Mm-hmm. England right? did. So, and so he wasn't, wasn't really part of the, it wasn't, it wasn't unusual church, for, Bob, for Bob mm-hmm. Cratchit to want the day That's off. That's right.
1: Okay. It was not kind of unusual, but in America, in America, that would have been in a New different England, story. America Now you get down into Virginia, where George Washington is. They all celebrate Christmas because they're part of the Anglican Church, and that's uh, why. But the Congregationalists, so the dissenters, up in New England—that's Connecticut and Massachusetts yeah, and Maine, okay. New Hampshire. No, 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 no. no we, we don't do that. Now the other part is notice that next proclamation. Mm-hmm. John See Hancock, it. What does it, it say? A proclamation for the day of public fasting, humiliation, and prayer. See, that was the other tradition they had. In the spring, you always had a time to pray and ask God to bless your crops, to bless your schools. To, I mean, you look at the stuff he prays for there. Well, it's
0: amazing that we are declaring our independence, and at the same time, unitedly, we acknowledge our entire dependence on the supreme being. We don't, I mean, this, again, this goes to farmers. This goes to farmers. When, when farmers, farmers know I can do absolutely everything else, but unless I'm a partner
1: with God... It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And, and the even then, it then.
0: still doesn't work.
1: Yeah. Uh, now See the other one? There, there's another one below you. This one? And, and see this? Do you know that to this day, they still have a, a day for an annual fast in New England? It's the 15th of April, but they now call it Patriot Day. They changed the name of it. It used to be the annual day of prayer and fasting. But even to this day, that tradition still exists. So as we look at Thanksgiving... We used to have a dual tradition with Thanksgiving, but it was all God-centered. You know, there's a time we thank God, but there's also a time when we ask for his help. And so in in spring, you're asking for his help, and in the fall, you're thanking him for what he gave you. And that was was the mentality of America that we had in in Thanksgiving. And now our Thanksgiving God is football. Football. (laughs) This is called Fox's Book of Martyrs. And I was always taught that this lists all the martyrs of the Christian church up to that time. I missed what this was about. So you get to the pilgrims, and it turns out there's a lot of lasting legacy from these guys we don't think about today. Um, they went in. It might be a good thing, David, because what we do think about, we try to destroy. That, that's exactly right, <laughs> that, and that's that's the wrong way of going yeah. at it. And we don't teach these guys right. We don't present good history. We've turned them into something they never were. Um, but it, it goes back to this, this book right here. Their governor says that they spent hours a day in this book because this is a new one for them. And so as you go through here, one of the things you find is God's in the private property. Now, Ten Commandments, you don't take somebody else's private property. You don't even want somebody else's private property. So Ten Commandments, real clear on that. The king has given them a charter that says, when you get over there, it's my land, you can have this. And they said, that's not true. It doesn't belong to him. It's, not, it's the Indian's land. And so as they go through that first winter, it's, it's interesting to see what they do, is they actually at one time, as they were starving, they found a kettle of corn, kernels of corn there, and it kept them alive. And so it became a pilgrim tradition. I, I think they got seven or nine kernels a day. That was their ration, that they ate kernels of corn. And, and so on other Thanksgivings, they would lay those seven or nine kernels out to remind them of what they had with all the bounty they've got. They got the turkeys. That's all they had? That's all they had. At times, that was all they had. And so they, it's, it's starving wow. to go. So, but when it's all over and done, the next year they went to the Indians and said, hey, we uh, found this kettle of corn. It, it's not ours. We need to pay somebody for it. Who do, who do we pay? Now, we would say, look, I'm so lucky. Look what I found. And they said, no, no, it's, it's not our property. We need to pay. You. It's got to be yours because it's not ours. And so they're looking to make payment. And so as they want a place to live, they will not live on any land to which they do not have clear title Sold willingly by the Indians. Now, as it turns out, here, this is a uh, sale of land by Indians, signed by the Indians, four hundred thousand acres that Jeez. they're selling, willingly selling. And so, well, the,
0: didn't the Indians? For what years is from, David?
1: Oh, I don't even remember the years. Early, early,
0: early. Um, didn't the Didn't the Native Americans feel
1: um, that they didn't? They didn't have a concept of land ownership like we do. Right. They so used the land. They, you guys are crazy for wanting to buy
0: it. The great spirit owns mm-hmm. the land, which mm-hmm. kind of
1: is the pilgrims. Mm-hmm. And, and see, here's, here's another treaty. This is 7,500 acres that they sold to a number of colonists. And, and same thing. So where's the deal if they stole all the land from the Indians? They came here to get rich off the Indians. and No. They had great respect for private property. And they wouldn't take anything that wasn't theirs by deed, by title deed. Now, you can say, well, there was a cultural misunderstanding. The Indians didn't know what they were doing. Well, it doesn't no. change the fact that these guys were trying to do the right thing. That they came at it in the right way and said, it's not ours, it's yours. Will you let us? So it's great relations. And, and that's part of why they had great relations, the longest lasting treaty in American history is with these guys. It's It's this Bible they kept using that taught them about that. Uh, And and so there's good stuff there. Another thing that was significant out of this Bible that shaped the way that we do things today dealt with this document right here. This is an arrest warrant for a witch. 1691, 1692, the witch trials. It's actually uh, Stephen Sewell. Now, that's one of the judges. And in that witch trial of 1691, 1692, you have twenty seven people who eventually die as a result, a little time out here, we teach the witch trial in every textbook in America, which we ought to. what we don 't teach is that in Europe at the same time witch trials are going on, five hundred thousand were put to death in Europe in the witch trials and the the witch trials I just read a book
0: on the Salem witch trials, which was fascinating mm-hmm. called um, I think it was just called witches um, And we're still trying to figure out exactly
1: what happened and how it happened. It was a very small number of people. And it was judges in a certain area. But what's interesting is what we know is the way it came to an end. And there were three people, the Reverend John Wise, the Reverend Increase Mather, and layman Thomas Brattle, who went to Governor Phipps and said, Phipps, Look what the Bible says about the way you run trials. There's trials all over the Bible. Trial of Jesus, trial of Stephen, trial of, of Paul, trial uh, of, of Naboth. Trials. And, and they said, you're you doing it Because the two books that the pilgrims brought with them to America was this book right here, the Bible, which is filled with criminal justice. Matter of fact, Stephen Breyer, who nobody's going to argue that Stephen Breyer is a religious man on the Supreme Court. He wouldn't even argue that. He's a very secular guy on the Supreme Court. Breyer, in one of his decisions, wrote, he said, of course we all know that all the clauses in the due process, and that's the 4th through the 8th of them. he said, we all know that every clause came out of the Bible. Well, yeah. do we really? So I checked his footnote on that, and it goes back to what's called the Federal Practice and Procedure. And if you want to practice federal law, that's the, I mean, it's volumes, I'm go from here back there somewhere. Volume 30 in Federal Practice and Procedure has nearly 60 pages of how every clause and the Bill of Rights was shaped out of this Geneva Bible. So the right to confront your accuser came out of John 8:12. The right to compel witnesses in your behalf came out of Proverbs 18, 17. All, all these things that we take for granted, these guys went to Governor Phipps and said, you're doing it. Now, the other book that, that got them was this one right here. This is called Fox's Book of Martyrs. And I was always taught that this lists all the martyrs of the Christian church up to that time. I missed what this was about. Um, you see here, for example, here's a, a picture of them burning someone at the stake. Mm-hmm. And this is back in the 1550s. As it turns out, every one of these martyrs was put to death by bad judicial process. So it's not just that they're martyrs. Even Jesus, the trial of Jesus violated Roman law, Jewish law, everything else. And so there's a the great book out, uh, an attorney looks at, at Jesus's trial. It starts with Jesus in, in Volume One and goes through these volumes. They're all put to death by bad judicial process. So these guys come to America thinking, no, "Wait a minute, look at all the people who have been killed by bad laws, bad judicial process, and look what this says about good process." So they go to Samuel, Sewell, they go to, to Governor Phipps and said, "Doing this wrong." Phipps looked at it, and said, "You're right," and he called in Judge Sewell and said, "You got to stop this." Sewell actually stood up in church and said, I repent for having shed innocent blood. I did not know the Bible, and I've been doing this wrong. Governor Phipps then called a colony-wide day of humiliation, fasting, and prayer, seeking to avert God's judgment for having shed innocent blood. So the story is not the witch trials. The story is that it wasn't 500,000 like Europe was. It was different. And it was three Christian leaders that came to the governor and said, look, here's the stuff. So we look at our justice system today. We would never track that back to the Pilgrims and Puritans. N- nobody today would think of that. But even Justice Breyer knows that it goes back. I mean, it's in federal practice and procedure. So we we track that back. And even as we look at our form of government, I mean, these guys are coming out of a system where everybody's got a king: a king of Italy, and king of Spain, and king of Scotland, and king of England, and the king of of, of all, Italy. Everybody's got. And they come in and say, we're doing elections. Where that come? What's the model for that? You know, where, where do you see that going on in Europe? Only where the Bible was starting to grow, and like in Geneva. Um, and they used Exodus eighteen twenty one. Scripture says, choose out from among you leaders of tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. Vote! And, and elect this your is, leaders.
0: This is why um, Stalin and... Um, Mao and Hitler and everybody had to destroy, and even King George
1: had to destroy the Bible. And that's why they won't let you read it in your own language. That's why if you try to put in your language, they're, they're going to burn you at the stake, like Tyndall, they're, they're, John Hoos. Now it's kind of funny they forgot to burn Wycliffe at the stake, so they dug his bones up and burned his bones at the stake because they forgot to not. burn it. Yeah, they did. They did. They, they dug his bones up and burned them at the stake because they forgot to burn him. <laughs> did, anybody, did anybody at any time think this is ridiculous? No, because the government is the church. And what they say, if you laugh at it or if you contradict it, you're going to be dead, just like the pastor of the pilgrims was dead. And these guys, what caused them to leave England was after their pastor was executed for saying the queen's not head of the church, Jesus is, they passed a law that says anybody who denies that the queen is head of the church will be thrown in prison without bail. So if you say that Jesus is the head of the church instead of Queen Elizabeth, you're going to prison, you'll never get out. And so they said, bye, on our way to Holland. They got to Holland, and it wasn't the right language. They said, we want our kids raised with English traditions, not 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 the, the traditions of Holland. So they said, only place left is America. And that's where they were headed. But they were headed to the wrong colony. They were headed to um, the, the Virginia colony, and that... Didn't, they weren't very religious there, and they didn't do things right there, and uh, no, it was it was it was a wrong place to land. Yeah, it God was, blew them to where they went.
0: I think they were actually headed towards New Guinea at first. That's where they wanted to go. They wanted to go, and yeah. then and then the speedwell came back, mm-hmm. and they changed course through prayer and said we have to go mm-hmm. to North America um, and land. But Virginia was a uh, a place.
1: I mean. Before they got there, it was cannibal. I mean, they went yeah, cannibalistic. I, I John mean, Smith, their governor. I mean, he, they, they went in what they call the starving time. And the people there would not work at all. He literally had to take a whip to beat people to make them go work. And he read them, Second Thessalonians three ten that says, If you don't work, you don't eat. And as people would die, they would eat the bodies. As horses would die, they wouldn't go work, wouldn't do anything. And they called it the starving time. And so these guys are so lazy... And that
0: actually came, it wasn't laziness, was it? It came from the idea of well, socialism.
1: Didn't it, 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 that was laziness. Early, that, mean, other people are to bribe for us. Correct, Don't expect correct, me to correct. bribe. That, and, but
0: that's when we first found that, if you would call it socialist back then, that's right. that socialism doesn't work because there are those who will work, and then most everybody else is like, why well, am I going to work? Go- Governor I get it Bradford, free."
1: See, these guys right here, you take these hundred that came, all right? The deal is when they got here, they were all one church congregation. So we're all going to take care of each other. That's pretty good, except you arrived in December and it's really cold and you got to build cabins. And these ladies here aren't going to do a whole lot for that. And by the way, that little kid there, you see the kid back there, you see the kid over here? They're not going to do much. So you've only got about one-fourth of these guys doing the work for everybody. And all the work they did... They took everything that these guys made and produced, they split it equally with everybody. And so as the governor points out, they essentially started calling in sick. "Uh, I think I'm too sick to go work today. Whether they work or not, they're going to get the same portion that everybody else gets. Mm -hmm. And so there's no incentive. And so Bradford, his comment is as if we were smarter than God. They found in the scriptures that if you don't work, you don't eat. And so they divided it up where that if you produce something, you got it. If you didn't produce anything, that's exactly what you get. And suddenly they had an incentive to to move, and that's where they became prosperous was after they found those Bible verses. So they didn't find the Bible verses in Jamestown because they were too secular, but these guys are in the Bible all the time, and, man, the contributions they gave are remarkable. Talking about a divine providence, I, I am struck by
0: the fact that um, um, Columbus is blown here. Once he humbles himself, he's blown here. Um, and when he's going over, you see the humility of him. When he comes back on the boat, he starts talking about, I'm going to be a great man. I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to probably be the governor. And he's never allowed to come back mm-hmm. to this land. And um, the same thing in Jamestown. When Jamestown, they're coming over for the gold. They're coming over to exploit the land, and God kind of corrals them mm-hmm.
1: and keep the, the Indians actually board them in. Mm-hmm. Only the Pilgrims do. They well. get it right, and they're the ones who produce the land. And one other thing worth noting about Columbus, 1492. How come you go all the way to 1620? before you really have something that settles and makes it right. Well, why 130 years? Because in that time, they had not worked out the Bible yet. If they had come over with Columbus, you've got the coercive Spanish religion that kills people for not believing. You've still got a state-established religion. These guys finally have enough Reformation, enough Bible in them, that they say, we're going to do what the Bible says, not what the government says. And by doing that, look what it did for private property. Look what it did for relations with the Indians. Look what it did for so many other things. And it's like God held us off for 120 years until we got kind of our our thinking right on on Bible and government and freedom and liberty and conscience. And then they come over, and lo and behold, you know, so why wait 120 years? Providence of God, maybe. And now that we have divorced
0: ourselves from it, Mm -hmm. how long is it going to take us before we can reestablish and get ourselves back in line?
1: This is the first public school law in America. This is what they did. And they established schools because they said you know what the reason the government oppressed us for so many centuries is we didn't know how to read we didn't know what the bible said we're going to have civil liberty in america and we're going to have it by reading the bible so david
0: as we gather around Mm -hmm. in the holidays what should we be teaching the family the lasting contributions. What are they that well, we can't you, forget?
1: You've got the lasting contributions of the elected government, of freedom of conscience, of private property protection. How that how that really creates good neighbors. You've got the justice system that we have that we appreciate in the due process. Uh, we were just talking in the last segment how they started to prosper. This is Adam Smith, Wealth of Nations. It's called The Father of Modern acting. Sorry, pilgrims beat him by a century. They already had this down. They were doing it because it was biblical. And, and you know, we've talked before on other programs about how that before Adam Smith did The Wealth of Nations, he did the book on morality and religion. That was the foundation. Moral sentiments. Moral
0: sentiments. He said the invisible hand of the market will come and choke you Yep.
1: if you don't have moral if sentiments. If you don't have moral sentiments. And, and so the pilgrims got that, and out of the Bible they created this prosperous economy. The and, other, that, and that comes, that is shown
0: in the finding the corn, yeah, and searching, that's, right. that's to right. pay for some for it.
1: The, the way they looked at things, and, and so you also the other thing that we can thank them for is common education. Um, again, nobody read; there wasn't anything to read. We went through twelve years of. Twelve centuries of illiteracy, no mm-hmm. Bible. They get here and they start the first. This is the first public school law in America. This is what they did, and they established schools because they said, you know what? The reason the government oppressed us for so many centuries is we didn't know how to read. We didn't know what the Bible said. We're not gonna. We're gonna have civil liberty in America, and we're gonna have it by reading the Bible and keeping the government limited. And so, look. Just read the first part. This is. This published school law, first one published in America.
0: Uh, it being one chief project that the old deluder, mm-hmm. Satan, to keep men from the knowledge of the scriptures as in former times, keeping them in an unknown tongue. So to, these latter times, by sur- uh, persuading them from the use of tongues, So that at least the true sense and meaning of the original might be clouded with
1: false glosses of saint uh, seeming deceivers. And on it goes down. See, the deal is that's a public school law. And it says, hey, here's the deal. In all these former times, they wouldn't let us read the Bible in our own tongue. It was the old deluder Satan who wanted us not to know the scriptures. And the authorities complied with it. And we're not going to. We can read in our own tongues. So. That's the start of the public school law, and then it goes on to say that when you get 50 families into a community, you have to get them a teacher. When you get 100 families in a community, you have to build them a school. And this is where common school education came from, that everybody gets an education, but significantly, you started with the Bible because that was the Book of Liberty, and that's where civil liberty came from. So it is so different from today, but these are lasting contributions these guys gave us. So how
0: did public school then, David— I mean. The
1: founders, I thought, were basically homeschooled, were they? Oh, no, there, there, there was about nine different types of schools, Dame schools, Oldfield schools, Scotland schools, Latin schools, homeschooled, parochial schools, uh, there were private schools, they were huge school choice guys. They, they didn't care which way you did it, you just had to achieve certain ends. And throughout all of them, Bible and religious education was common. Um, Benjamin Rush called the father of public schools under the Constitution in 1790, set forth a dozen reasons would never take the Bible out of public schools. Unanimous Supreme Court decision in 1844. We won't take it out. I mean, it was this. Why why have
0: our schools failed us so when they weren't failing these guys?
1: They weren't failing these guys, but they also. See, we don't. When the progressives got education in the 20s, they changed the emphasis from teaching students how to think to teaching them how to learn, which now means we just, whatever they dump into us, we Mm -hmm. get. They taught you how to think. They taught things like forensics, they taught catechism, they taught other things that caused you to use your brain. And back then, the chief source of, of knowledge was the Bible. You always started with the Bible. That was that was where you learned to read. Hmm. And so, with that, you got civil liberty, you got freedom, you got private property, you got justice, rights, you got economics, you got all that. Today, we don't teach that, and we've lost the foundation of all those institutions.
0: David on Thanksgiving. This is what it's like at my house. We get up early. Um, somebody in the house is stressing over the turkey and over the food, and then people are stressed about everybody coming over or mm-hmm. us you know, going someplace. And then we eat and we eat and we eat, and then we all pretty much go. Usually the women are in the kitchen and the men are all with a belt undone and uh, sleeping in front of the football game. That's the American Thanksgiving.
1: There's more to it than that. There used to be. (laughs) There used to be. the, The tone that they gave us actually resulted in Thanksgivings across time. But this is cool because this is the first federal Thanksgiving proclamation. George Washington did that. Wow. And I love the way he starts it. Why do we have a Thanksgiving? He says, because it's the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, to be grateful for His benefits, And humbly to implore his protection and favor. That's Thanksgiving. Those four things right there.
0: That's Thanksgiving. I found out why we have it on the date we do.
1: Do you even know this? (laughs) Well, I know that it was set by federal law after Godey's Lady Magazine, Sarah Joseph Hale, Joseph Hale, and all the stuff that she did. Do you know that it
0: was changed again under FDR? I knew it was changed under FDR, yes. Do you know why it was changed under FDR? It's changed, um, they moved it to the week that it currently sits. During the Depression, because of economic pressure, they said, the, the the businesses of America begged that they add an extra week of Christmas shopping. Oh, wow. And that's where Black Friday came from. That's all Depression era. Wow. So we took a glorious day of Thanksgiving and a Thanksgiving weekend, and during the Depression, progressives took it and turned it- Into an economic Into an economic thing. Yeah.
1: And, and it, it's I don't a God know if thing. we've ever recovered from it. Well, it's a God, and that's the thing we can do on Thanksgiving is whoever we're with, if it's spouses, friends, whatever, go back and recite some of the things, the contributions, lasting contributions that came from those people of faith. Keep it a faith holiday, not a business holiday. Enjoy a game if you want to, but keep God in it. The other thing I'd throw out is these are all old sermons that were preached about the pilgrims and about the legacy they gave us. We used to do this every year. And so on our website at WallBuilders, we have a section that you can get a sermon and preach a sermon at your church or teach at Sunday school or teach it in adult class or whatever about the legacy of these guys. And we're not getting in school. We're getting the opposite in school. But it's a great way to get God back into that holiday and back in our thinking and appreciate the economic system, the justice system, other things we have that came from these guys. So when you go to
0: WallBuilders.com... Is it just a sermon or is it a, is no, it a class or in a, well, we, a, an outline to help it's you It's an outline it too. for
1: a new sermon. It's all the historical documents. It's a bunch of old sermons. There's dozens of old proclamations. We give you all the resources. You craft one yourself. And We've actually had the chief historian at Plymouth, Massachusetts, the Pilgrim's Place, who is himself a pastor, give an outline for a great Thanksgiving sermon. Can dads uh, do this too? Dads can do it. And that's a great idea. Do it around the, the table. Yeah, go to... Go to that and you'll see a link there, a little banner that says, you know, a Christmas sermon, uh, a Thanksgiving sermon. And yeah, that'd be great. Do it. Dad's round the table. That's a great idea. I am grateful, David, for you. I am
0: grateful for my family. I am grateful for all the things we've experienced. I'm grateful for all the tough times that we have had, even together. Mm-hmm. I'm grateful for this last year that was really tough because I know it's going to make us all better, better people. We close this on a prayer for Thanksgiving.
1: Yeah. Father, thank you for your kindness, your providential hand, the way you watch over us in ways that we don't even recognize or think of. Father, your loving kindness is new every morning and refreshes us. And as we're at this time of year, cause us to turn our thoughts back to you, cause our eyes to be open to recognize you in ways we've never seen you before. And just let appreciation well up in us and let us communicate it to those around us. And we thank you for the blessings you've given us, Father. We look for many more. I ask this in Jesus' name, Father. Amen. Amen.
0: The key to having a great day starts with having a great night's sleep, and I know because I have a Casper mattress. The Casper mattress was invented with two high-tech foams that give you all of the support that you need and guarantee that you get the best night's sleep ever. Time magazine named Casper mattress one of the best inventions of 2015. Casper ships for free in a box so small you won't believe it holds the actual mattress, making it simple to get from your front door to your bedroom, and you try it for 100 nights risk-free. They'll come and pick it up if you don't love it as much as I love mine. And they'll refund every single dime. Once you try it, you're never going to want to sleep on anything else. Having a great day by having a great night's sleep. Casper.com slash Glenn. Use the promo code Glen, $50 off the purchase of your mattress at Casper.com slash Glenn. The promo code is Glen. Don't forget, $50 off the purchase of your mattress. Casper.com slash Glenn. Terms and conditions do apply.